Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Incredibly difficult to fight the urge to not just make this a hour and a half celebration of the Detroit Lions winning a playoff game at Ford Field podcast. That was was watching it actually in the back of Evan's car on my phone watching that game finish and it was like I I can't imagine what it would have been like to be one of the 62,000 62,000 plus people there actually and, and watching the Bills game so far today very appreciative that Ford Field is indoors <laughs> but that is what a great week for Michigan sports I know we have some MSU fans and OSU fans and uh, fans of teams other than Michigan listening, but you know Michigan winning the national championship, the Lions winning a playoff game, exercising some demons, and Detroit going five for six in points since last episode and beating Toronto in a game where they got there like 10 minutes before. And the Pistons didn't play, so everything was great yesterday. <laughs> hey, they made a trade though. Wow. Yeah, they made a trade. At least they did something. That is true. They they saw how bad it turned out for other Detroit teams when they tanked, and they tanked so hard that they actually went too far. And they were like, ooh, well, we got to backpedal a little bit and try to win some more games now. But, man, good for Detroit, good for the Lions. I have absolutely no expectations now what happens. Like, obviously you want to keep rolling, but I'm already, like, build a statue for Dan Campbell. Now... What would this statue be of? Because there's some candidates with him. You could, uh, chomping on kneecaps would be a good one. Something with kneecaps. It would have to be kneecap related. Yeah. It could be like the gesturing towards the locker room with welcome to Detroit, man. That one's pretty (laughs) awesome. You can go in a lot of different directions, but as a Detroit sports fan, it's a good, good time, which is, it's been a little while since we've been able to say that. Across multiple sports. This is one of those enjoy it while it lasts moments. And we certainly will. We don't know if the wheels are coming off this thing in a week, two months. It's going to happen. So just ride it as long as you can. All right, folks. We are here to talk to you about Detroit Red Wings hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about Hockey Town, both in Hockey Town and uh, delayed in Toronto. Uh, The world of the NHL and lots more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be recapping Detroit's three games since we last spoke, and a tough three games in terms of opponents, and Detroit went 2-0-1, five of six points, and have had a point in every game in 2024. So we'll be recapping those games and how Detroit has put themselves back into a wildcard spot, or at least in contention for it. We'll be talking about news from across the NHL and as it pertains to Detroit, noise around goalies across the league and what Steve Eisman is inevitably hearing on the phone as it uh, surrounds Alex Lyon. We'll be talking about news from across the NHL, midseason awards. We'll be having that discussion and lots more before we jump into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is on Saturday, March 2nd. Get your tickets soon. The first 400 tickets to Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA sold. Get a special edition Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast officially licensed co-branded hat. What WWP Night is, is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings where on the night of the Florida Panthers game, 
uh, at Little Caesars Arena. We're actually going to go to the game and record a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast before the game. So your ticket not only gets you entry into the Red Wings game at a discounted rate, you also get access to the event. If you're one of the first 400 ticket buyers, you get the special edition co-branded cap. It includes a donation to the Jamie Daniels Foundation as a part of every ticket sold. So thank you to the Red Wings and for all of you ticket buyers for that. You get to hear us and Ken Daniels, more importantly, and other special guests talk on the Winged Wheel podcast. There is a meet and greet where you can talk to us, Ken, anyone else who's there. We can have Evan sign as many things as you guys would like. He is notoriously fond of signing autographs, loves it. And there's going to be food and drinks uh, available to purchase. Your tickets to the game are going to be in Winged Wheel podcast-specific sections. You can sit up in the gondola, which is the same view that Ken and Mick have when they call the games. And there's also upper and lower bowl seats. So go to the link in the description or type wingedwheelpodcast.com slash redwings into your browser. Uh, the link in the description of this episode will send you straight there, though, uh, to get your tickets today. Again, first 400 ticket buyers get the special edition cap. All right, let's jump into this. The Detroit Red Wings, three games, and, you know, they came off their West Coast road trip. They did extremely well, three wins of varying levels of performance, and we said, that's great. San Jose was soft, Anaheim was soft, LA wasn't playing well. What are they going to do now that they have Edmonton, LA, and then Toronto? Three games in a short period of time. And here we are, the Red Wings went 2-0-1, back in a wild card position. Surprised? Very. That being said, how the games went wasn't entirely surprising, specifically with the uh, Edmonton game, but it is another example of just win, baby. Just Do- win. Doesn't have to be pretty. Sometimes you ride a goalie. Sometimes you get a little lucky. Sometimes you walk into a bad team having a bad night. And the Red Wings, I think, at various points in this streak have had all of the above. Just win. When you're a wild card team or you're trying to be a wild card team, you are not going to be playing as well as the Edmonton Oilers on every given night. You're not going to be playing as well as, you know, Vegas was earlier this year on any given night. You're not going to be Boston consistently. The difference between a wild card team and a team that misses the wild card position by two or three spots is the wild card team, as Brad said, just wins. It's going to be scrappy. It's going to be ugly. You're going to have to take advantage of other teams playing worse than they should have, which is, I think, both LA and Toronto in this case. But you still get the two points all the same. And honestly, if the Red Wings still have a lot to work on, and let's not mince words here, the Red Wings as a team, roster construction, how they're playing right now, they still have a lot to work on. That's fine. I would much prefer the version of them that's overperforming and getting more results than you might expect than the one that's been in the doldrums in the basement, as we've seen for the past nine years. Yeah, I mean, what what are you going to ask these guys to do? Not go out and try and win games? Like, they're professional athletes. They're going to go out and do that. And, you know, it might not be pretty at times, but they're getting the results right now. And for how tight the Eastern Conference playoff race is right now, that's all that matters. Let's start with the Edmonton game and... I'm going to call it what it is. This is the Red Wings squeaking out a point because of Alex Lyon. They, yeah, they scored a couple of goals. They sent it to overtime. Ole Mata's tied it with is it four minutes left, just under four minutes left in the third period. But Alex Lyon is the reason that game went to overtime. It was a 3 2 overtime win for Edmonton. Not the best line change, bad turnover in front. 
Nurse made no question about it, beat Lyon in the high slot, unopposed shot. Edmonton deserved to win that game. But Detroit eked out one point in, like Evan said, a tight playoff race. So does that you know, make me sit here and say, yeah, Detroit should have that effort every night and play that well relative to their opponents every night? No, of course not. You want to see them play a better game than that and not need Alex Lyon to stand on his head. But they still got a point because Alex Lyon stood on his head, which is, I'm not going to say a good result, but not the worst result. Yeah, he's the only reason. And I didn't love the Red Wings strategy in this game either. Traditionally, they've actually had a pretty solid track record of, you know, I don't know, not stopping Connor McDavid, but keeping his reign of terror within reason. They've done it a few times where they kept it to the third period, like two periods. He goes pointless. I'm like, Hey, that's pretty good. This game in particular, the strategy was hilarious because this is the most afraid I've ever seen a team visibly look when a player is on the ice. You could tell just the panic in their eyes, the panic in their movements, the panic in their play. Just keep the puck away from McDavid. We don't care whatever the hell happens to the puck. Just keep it away from him. Like They weren't making plays with him on the ice. They weren't generating any kind of offense. It was stop him, get rid of the puck, force him, and just hang on. And that's more or less what they've done to try and contain McDavid over the past few years, and it's worked. But... It was a particularly obvious example of it in this one. You've seen more of that this year in the Red Wings, and it's almost like the burden of the expectations and the burdens of the success that they haven't had previously. They're like, oh, God, we're here, and and we don't want to mess this up. Dylan Larkin has talked about it previous where he's noted that the Red Wings seem to be making mistakes that they otherwise wouldn't just because they're getting nervous for example in their own zone they're trying so hard to defend that they do it poorly and then they sacrifice offense for defense that doesn't exist and it's this whole spiral so i've seen that at various points what you just mentioned and it's also tough like it's connor mcdavid right you're trying to minimize the damage that's it they let their guard down for half of a shift and he torched them for a highlight real goal yeah was that good for jake wallman to you know give up on that play before McDavid uh, broke in and because Wallman thought it was offside or whatever it was. No, I'm sure he's not going to make that mistake again. But at the same time, there's not very many people on this planet who can do what Connor McDavid did after that. Unfortunately, Jake Wallman's going to forever be on that highlight reel. Just absolutely turnstiled. Poor poor guy's been going through it too. Injury, sickness. Uh, He was out after that for a couple games. Hope he gets better. it's been a rough ride for him ever since the um, the trip and fall into the net in Sweden. But yeah, that was that was the Edmonton game. It, you know, you hate to be reductive about it just because, yeah, they scored a couple goals. Who was it? Cop scored unassisted to actually open scoring for the entire game. And then it was Mata who tied it. But the name of the game was Alex Lyon. How many saves did he have in the end? 40-something. Yeah, he had 44 saves on 47 shots. That's... If your goalie makes 44 saves and has an OT loss, the other team was probably Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. And if the Red Wings are going to give up a point right now, I'd rather it be to a Western Conference team oh, yeah. than anyone else, in oh, the, yeah. any team in the Eastern Conference, because you know it doesn't totally matter. So Detroit actually played a couple nights later also at home, and they played the LA Kings. And this was an interesting one because when they played in LA, the game where they won in a shootout, I thought... LA, I understand they've been playing poorly, but 
I'm sure they can't be happy about their performance at home against a what to them would be a beatable Red Wings team. So I was expecting them to come in with a little bit more. Uh, I thought it'd be a different game. And Detroit ends up winning in regulation 5-3. Dylan Larkin opens scoring off a very tight angle shot. That's a, like, Dylan Larkin's made a habit about that. Oh, yeah. He's going to have goalies react to it soon, but it's amazing that it keeps happening. The best players in the world often have like a random, I shouldn't say a random, like a part of their game, like a niche part of their game that they're randomly very, very good at. And, you know, the better the player, the more things they are good at like that. But Dylan Larkin, people don't notice those tight angle shots. Like it's funny how often he can hit on them. And it's not like he's at all the same player, but who was the last player Detroit had who had the same aptitude for tight angle shots to beat goalies from awkward spots on the ice? It's Pavel Datsuk, right? Even he didn't do that often. He was more from behind the net, bank it off something into the net. Larkin's just pure, I'm beating you clean from wherever the hell I want. Or yeah. he'd like shoot in it from a very deceptive spot and then it would catch the goalie off, completely off guard. Yeah, he'd be like mid-stride, not showing shot with his body at all. He would just do a backhand from the corner basically and it would yeah. go top shelf. I was so annoyed when the chi- the Toronto Maple Leafs team account said uh, Mitch Marner was the magic man congratulating him on his 600th point. I was like, nah, listen, you no, don't get to... That's, that's why, why they lost lo- the game. Yeah, that's exactly why they lost the game. They yeah. put that out in the universe and it screwed him. Dylan Larkin uh, ended up scoring his second goal of the game on the power play. I believe that was a five on three when the LA player tried to, or actually did shoot the puck away with a broken stick. Can't do that. As funny as it was, you can't do that. And then Robbie Fabry made it three, one right place, right time off of a Daniel Sprong shot, got that rebound in. And then Patrick Kane sprung by DeBrinket. He beat a defender, got through, had a little mini breakaway. And that was just a gorgeous, gorgeous move to beat the goalie. You're not supposed to be able to use a deke like that if you have no reach. No. And he somehow still made it work. Yeah. That's the that's the prime example of you don't still have to be, you know, a top-tier skater in this league to be effective. You can use your other tools. He, absolutely, I don't know if he would be even be in, like, the top eight best skaters on the ice at that point. But he just needed to beat the guys he did, and then he beat the goalie. That was a silky move. Andrew Kopp scored, who's, Andrew Kopp's been scoring. He's been, 2024 has been great for him so far. Did the old Michael Rasmussen uh, New Year's resolution of just being better at hockey. Again, I don't know why every Red Wings player just doesn't do that. So 5-1 lead going into the third. That second period was, I'd say, the best period of hockey. I think you said that actually as well, Brad. That's the best period of hockey they've played in a long, long time. Arguably this season, all things considered. Yeah, it's... Again, you got to take all context into it. The Kings were having an off night. I shouldn't even say the Kings are having an off night. They're having an off month. They're on like an eight-game skid. So when you get a team that's spiraling like that, don't just beat them. Obviously, you need to beat them, but run them into the ground. Yeah. And they did. That period especially was a team on a heater up against a team on a losing streak, and it showed. And then going into the third, they were a bit undisciplined. And I got flashbacks to the Philly game where they had a 5-1 lead. And I thought, wow, this is pretty safe. LA made it 5-3. I don't want to say pretty quickly, but quick enough where it was starting to make you a bit nervous. The goals were, you know, two minutes. Yeah, two minutes and 31 seconds apart. I didn't think the Red Wings were going to lose the game, but I certainly was like, "Mm, 
I don't know that I have the uh, the willpower to sit to watch them do this twice in a few weeks. But luckily, the Red Wings did buckle down. They they stayed disciplined the rest of the game. It was a 5-3 win in regulation. And again, credit to Alex Lyon. That was another solid performance. I think 9-17 save percentage, 33 saves on 36 shots. And all of a sudden, the Red Wings, you know, they rebounded after the Edmonton game, got a key win. I don't want to say you're okay if they go then go into Toronto and lose. Obviously not. But you're like three points already out of this weekend. That's fantastic. And Alex Line again, he made clutch saves at the end. It's not like LA got in within a goal, but he had to be, he had to stand tall to make sure that they stayed two goals away. And then on a back-to-back with travel, Detroit had to come into Toronto. And that apparently was the most difficult part of the night. They were extremely late getting into Toronto. And they didn't Toronto. even have to drive. No. They didn't have to endure the 401. No, they didn't have to endure, what was that, a stretch Hummer that, Caught on fire that slowed down traffic on the way in. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. I think they sat on the tarmac in Detroit, didn't they? Yeah, they got stuck. So the Red Wings got stuck on the tarmac in Detroit. And then they didn't, basically they they weren't able to land in Toronto and get from Pearson Airport to Scotiabank Arena in time. And for anyone who's ever driven in Toronto, you'll understand why. And so they had to delay the game 30 minutes, which sucked for Red Wings fans because that made it overlap with the Lions game even more. But... The Red Wings got there just under 90 minutes before the game. I think a big credit to the Toronto staff. They helped them set up the dressing room and whatnot. But Detroit pretty much sat on a plane all day for what should have been their easiest travel of the year and came in cold and rusty and cramped up. And just think if you were sitting on a tarmac for that long, how you'd feel. Obviously, it's a little bit of a nicer plane than what we sit. But that was uh, after I saw that. Playing a back-to-back with travel, I was like, there's absolutely no reason why Toronto shouldn't absolutely destroy Detroit for this game. Yeah, that is one of those games where if you're the Leafs coach, a win by anything less than five is an underperformance. And if you had told me that somehow the Wings were going to steal that game, I would have said, well, yeah, they started Samsonov. He obviously blew it. He played very well actually saved the game at one point, too. Yeah. They were chanting his name as Andrew Kopp was scoring the game winner, <laughs> basically. And then the Red Wings fans were chanting Samsonov's name. <laughs> yeah. There's a good amount. Like, being in that crowd, I saw a good amount of Red Wings jerseys in there. That was cool. Red Wings fans travel well. Yeah. Nobody's traveling well this weekend. Are you kidding? No. Yeah. <laughs> Very cold. But uh, it was... I, as much as I want to get, and I feel like I'm being way too negative this episode for how, how good the Wings have been lately, but this game is definitely more about the Leafs than it was Detroit. They let them off the hook. The first 10 minutes of that game, the Leafs could have absolutely beat the brakes off of them and just demoralized them, and they didn't. They absolutely let Detroit get their legs under them get comfortable in the game, and you could see as the game went on, the Red Wings were feeling it. They they still didn't look their best, and you could tell at moments the talent discrepancy was still substantial, but that was, this game was a light on talent but mentally strong team going in and playing a heavy on talent and mentally weak team. I didn't see any sense of urgency from the Leafs to really take control of the game early given the circumstances in which the Red Wings were arriving to the game. And then it, they, like Brad said, they just kind of let Detroit hang in there. 
Detroit started to grind away the Leafs a little bit as well, and I think the Leafs played the night before too, but still, no excuse. And the Red Wings just scraped. You know, they battled hard and scraped out a win. And, you know, some days you just have to do that. And to see the Red Wings be able to pull that off, especially against the Toronto Maple Leafs, is chef's kiss. In regulation, too. Like, it's not like they... At some point when they came out a second, I'm like, if you tie it and, and take a point out of this, you can't be mad at that weekend with four points total out of six games. You obviously don't want to give up two points to an Atlantic Division team, but you just get that point all context considered, and Reimer being in net for Detroit, like, yeah, you'll take what you can get, but yeah, regulation win is, thank former, you, Toronto. Former Leafs beating the Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> uh, never gets old. So you were in the arena when you saw the Justin Hole tribute on the Jumbotron. I did. Did you throw It popcorn? was crazy. All six people gave him a, a standing ovation. <laughs> did Was that crazy, or were they finishing their hits on him all night? I don't know. I think I honestly think they were hitting him a bit harder that night. Also, very jarring to see Tyler Bertuzzi wearing blue in person. That was very strange, almost uncomfortable. But yeah, you're both exactly right. Like Detroit came in, and we try not to make excuses. Full excuse to Detroit for this. They came in cold, cramped, sitting on a tarmac. They were absolutely discombobulated. The few really good chances that they had, they completely whiffed on. Patrick Kane took a tumble into the boards and took an awkward hit another time and, and left in the first period, did not return. We still don't have an update on his injury. Elliot Friedman actually confirmed that it wasn't his hip, which is a, a nice confirmation, but Detroit has to hope that he won't be out for any period of time. But Toronto should have stepped on the gas and put this game out of reach in the first. And they were playing as dejected as the fans were. I, man, that is a, like being in that arena, that is a fan base with some demons. Every Go Leafs Go chant was like they were they were doing it because they know they had to, but I'm like, they're, they're watching Detroit barely yeah. put up a challenge and Toronto can't score on them. When one thing doesn't go the Toronto Maple Leafs way, like they get some bad puck luck or something, an ill-fated play occurs against Toronto, man... <laughs> you can it's you can feel it in that arena. You can feel the fans being like, "Oh God, here we go again." Yeah, you can see the players. They they do very bizarre plays after that. The execution becomes a little less crisp. There's some second guessing out there. It it is the most bizarre team in fan base to to interact with and experience. Detroit had a power play, and uh, to that point in the game, I felt that they didn't shoot enough on Samsonov, who was obviously coming back from being you know, waved and removed from basically ice time to try to get his head on and and get back in the game. And I thought, well, they need to pepper him with shots to see what goes through. So if they can break him early, that's a mental goalie and, and you just create like a tidal wave. And I didn't feel like Detroit was doing that. And they were on the power play or uh, had really good offensive zone control and passing the puck across the seam and near the crease. And I remember saying out loud, I try not to be too yappy, you know, at games, especially if I'm watching Detroit on the road. But I, I said it loud, just shoot it. He sucks. And I must have said it loud enough because like the whole radius of Leafs fans around me, none of them were mad. They all just kind of like groaned and laughed. They're like, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, that is a beat up fan base. I was just looking up the Leafs penalty killing percentage and it is 77%, which is 24th in the NHL. Not great. How long is Keith going to have his job? I'm surprised he still does. Yeah, I thought last night after the way the Leafs came out and could not get the the win, I was like, 
the, are the Red Wings going to take down another NHL coach? <laughs> the hat trick of coaches. <laughs> oh my God. Because there is no excuse. We've already said it. <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs have to come out guns blazing and put that game to bed in the first 10, 15 minutes. And they didn't. And they let the Red Wings stay in the game and the Red Wings could feel it and they could sense the ice starting to tilt back their way. And they scraped out a win. Detroit scored. Uh, it was Perron to Larkin in front to tie the game. Larkin continues his little stretch of scoring here. And then Sprong uh, took advantage of a defender without a stick and was able to uh, have a actually a really nice forehanded backhand move uh, to tie the game in the third period. Ryan, it was right there. Sprong was sprung oh, on a God, breakaway. Yeah. It was right there, Ryan. You know, Brad, this is, and I don't blame you. But just because uh, yours and Newsy's Bills are playing in the playoffs right now does not mean that you're excused from picking up my slack there. You need to be able to jump in sooner. I, I, this is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> this is me pointing out that Sprung was sprung on a breakaway. Debrinket, Daniel sprung him on a breakaway. That's the best I can do. <laughs> uh, Detroit tied it in the third period. Andrew Kopp, there was a, uh, an extended play in the Leafs zone where Samsonoff over the course of a little period of time basically bailed out Toronto enough where they were chanting Sammy, Sammy, and then Cop had a puck in front. A bunch of Leafs did some weird stuff. He shot it, and Andrew Cop, 2024 version of him, has been putting pucks in and, and showing up on the score sheet, scored the game-winning goal. Lucas Raymond uh, scored the empty netter to send all the Leafs fans home early, and that was Detroit with a regulation win where you're like, what did you say? Because we weren't sitting in the same section. We saw each other in the concourse. You're like, what is this team? Like, how I did said, that happen? I don't know what team he's referencing there, and it's accurate. <laughs> yeah. I think I said James Ryan. This is going to sound so disrespectful, and I totally don't mean it to sound that way, but I think I said something like, James Reimer is the best beer league goalie in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like, they... James Reimer did what he needed to do. Credit to him for as bad as he's been and for as much heat as he's, you know, fairly taken because he's not been great outside of the very start of the season. He made 28 of 30 saves. I hold my breath every single time an elite shooter's coming in, but he got the job done, so hats off to him. But they didn't, they like, they also didn't make the most of any opportunities, and they also passed on a lot of opportunities. Like, they didn't give Reimer too tough of a test. Nylander had a couple looks that I can't believe he did not bury. I think one was on his strong side. He curled in off the, off the circle and... There was, you could have fit a beach ball there, and I think he hit the crossbar or there was a deflection or something. Yeah. But hey, ex-Toronto players seeking revenge (laughs) against the Toronto Maple Leafs is God's gift to us all. So that's Detroit, 2-0-1 in those three games. They have a point in every game in 2024, 5-0-1 in that stretch. I'm not going to sit and declare that they're so back, but... If you could have any stretch of games within reasonable imagination that would say, I'm not so concerned about December anymore and Detroit's destiny is in their own hands again, it's this 5-0-1 stretch. Ignore the individual games and how they played. Just win. Just get the points. And that's just what they've been doing. So- I uh, When we were walking through the concourse after the game, there were... <laughs> God, this is... Uh... Leafs tears are the best. <laughs> uh, if there's anything to warm up your your cold dead heart, it's Leafs tears. Uh, a couple of the fans were saying that was a really important game. We needed to win because <laughs> they must have. 
And, and you know what? Do I blame them for thinking the Red Wings are still terrible? I don't at all. But the, clearly they had looked at the standings after that game and they said, oh, shoot. The Red yeah. Wings are much closer than we thought they were. Well, that's to your point that you've been making for the last three episodes about these are the games that they have to win. Toronto wins that in regulation. Detroit's five points behind them. They didn't. Detroit's one point behind them. Like, that's not an insignificant swing in the standings. Yeah. The Leafs still have two games in hand, but if there's any team that could squander two games in hand, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's not nothing's guaranteed for Detroit. Let's actually use this to transition into the standings discussion now because Detroit, after how far out of it they were, you know, not on points percentage, but by actual points and games played, they are in the first wildcard spot. They have 49 points in 43 games. Tampa Bay has 49 points in 44 games behind Detroit and could technically pass them if they win games in hand are Pittsburgh, 48 points in 42 games, New York Islanders with 48 points in 42 games, and the Devils with 47 points in 41 games. But they have to win the games. And Detroit is holding that wildcard spot. And in the divisional standings, because right now in the Atlantic, Boston's atop, Florida in second, and Toronto has 50 points in 41 games, and Detroit has 49 and 43. So Detroit could even, you know, get back into the divisional fold if they continue the stretch. You're not guaranteeing anything. You're not promising anything. You're not saying, yeah, if you extrapolate the way Detroit's been playing, for example, against San Jose or Edmonton, they're going to win a lot of games, but they got the results. This is the mucky part of the season where points are harder to stack, but if you can do them, you can make up a lot of ground. So does this, how much does this undo the hurt from December in your mind for Detroit to be a wild card contender? The odds state it's still more likely than not that they miss, but the percentages have increased dramatically in the Red Wings' favor. You know, we were, I don't know what the exact odds at the time were, but a couple weeks ago, we were giving the Wings a 20% chance at making the playoffs. And I think we were more optimistic than the models were stating. Yeah. Now they're probably up in that 30 to 45% range. And that's a wildcard contender. Yeah, they, they're not at the point where they control their own destiny yet. And I know we're a long ways away from worrying about those semantics, but they very much can do this, but they, they still have to play better. I think that's the big takeaway is the 5-0-1-1 is great, but how many games of these six were the Red Wings the better team? I would argue one, maybe two. There were definitely moments where the Red Wings were the better team and they were able to capitalize in those moments, especially last night. Toronto obviously let them stay in the game and with about 10, 12 minutes left in the third period, the Red Wings kind of came to life and then they became the better team and won the game. So, yeah, you'd like to see more consistent performance from the Red Wings and, you know, give you that sort of glimmer of hope that they can, that they're turning the page and looking like a more complete team. But right now, if they're getting points, I don't want to come on here and be a negative when, when they're one of the best teams in the NHL in the last 10 games. Well, the optimistic take is they're five Oh and one, and there's still lots of room for improvement. Yeah. So if they make those improvements. Yeah. Yeah. I do think they've been better, the better team. I agree with Evan. It's, it's a little bit of like a stained glass window. You can't just look at whole game chunks because at points, they're the better team in, in some of the games. 
But yeah, you're right. I, I see what you're saying, Brad. Yeah, they didn't balance, come out and dominate Edmonton. They yeah, did the you, opposite. If you talk about the game in majorities, I would say the Anaheim game and the home game versus LA, where the the Red Wings were the better team for the balance of yeah. those games. Yeah. Every other game, I would argue, they were outplayed for most of it. And they found a way to do it. And it, it just harks back to what I said near the beginning of the episode. You know, if you're a good wild card team, you're not winning every game. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in a wild card spot. You're finding ways to win these games. The improvement, like the room for improvement that you two just mentioned, you you have to start stepping into that space and realizing that improvement. It can't all come on the backs of Alex Lyon or James Reimer having a good night. But yeah, you're not going to find a single complaint from me for Detroit to start 2024 this way. What what the Red Wings have done here is bought themselves the rest of the season of opportunity. Because if they went, you know, oh five and one, or one and five in these six games, we're uh, that talking about Macklin Celebrini next episode. That might have been curtains. That might have been Steve Eisman taking phone calls on on players at the trade deadline. That might have been conversations with Patrick Kane and his agent to say, "Where do you want to go?" Because we're not going to be in the playoff mix. Detroit bought themselves not just time, but they bought themselves the rest of their season and how the course of the dressing room and and for the fans to be excited that that's what they did. So credit to them. I next game will be very interesting to see how the Red Wings come out because you could tell last night that them winning that game meant a lot. You could see it on the bench that the, oh, the bench was going crazy when they they got the uh, uh empty net goal and the go ahead goal. Like it meant a lot to them. So really hoping they can sort of carry that momentum and that the good vibes into the into next game. You know, I saw some I hate to I don't hate to do it. I don't know why I was about to say that. I hate to beat up on Leafs fans here. but I saw no, some, no such thing. No. I, I saw some reactions because the Red Wings, it was like Christian Fisher and everyone going nuts on the bench as if they had just won a playoff round or something. And I saw some Leafs fans be like, that's actually kind of pathetic. Like, it's just one regular season game. Well, it means you're so bad it means that much to you. And I thought two things. First, if I came in knowing I was a team with one all-star compared to Toronto's, like, what, 55 that they have – and that big of a salary for your third best player or whatever it is. And uh, you sat on the tarmac all day and what a grind of a day and just like on the road, all of it. I'd be celebrating like that too. Hell yeah. Secondly, isn't that like a microcosm of what's wrong in Toronto? They think it's wrong to be that passionate. A little bit. Yeah. I didn't respond to it because I've matured past Twitter wars, but someone, when I pointed out how fired up the wings bench was, Quote tweeted me, put a picture of the Red Wings holding a Stanley Cup going when the Wings beat the Leafs and it took everything in my power (laughs) to just not respond go, at least we get to look at that picture in color. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. It's a big celebration for two points on on a Sunday night when most Detroit sports fans were watching a different sport altogether. But man, for a team that supposedly has, you know, hashtag the passion. You'd think they'd recognize it when they see it. Toronto has big vibes of, you know, those kids in minor hockey that were really good, but they were like too cool to try. And if you were like a tryhard, they thought you were a loser, even though that's the whole point of like AAA hockey. Mm-hmm. Those those are the Leafs vibes I get. Yeah. Meanwhile, and then hey, you also you're not going to hear an argument from me. <laughs> you also get the poor suckers in the concourse like, man, we really needed to win that game. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wow, the Red Wings are now one point behind us. Yeah. And the Red Wings have more regulation wins than the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have one more. What's that team going to do? Not man? even regulation wins. Wins, period. 
which is astounding to me. Yeah. One more win and four more regulation wins. That's nuts. That, That's I don't, not great. I don't know how to feel about that stat. Do I laugh at the Leafs or am I happy as I'm happy regardless, but I'm not sure like where my energy is focused in that statement. Well, Detroit's energy will be focused uh, against Florida. They're going to be on the road against them on Wednesday night. We're going to be back with you with another episode on Thursday evening. Uh, Florida on the road is going to be tough. Florida's been really eight, good. Eight one and one in their last ten. They are probably one of, if not the best team in the NHL right now. They've found their stride, and this seems to be a trend for them. the The past years that they've been good, but that team is going to be tough to beat. I would actually hate Florida as a matchup for the playoffs. If if you're talking playoff teams. If you're the Red, a Red Wings fan, you'll take any team in the playoffs because that means you made it. But Florida could be very, very dangerous. Can't wait for that Boston-Florida rematch in round two. That's going to be a banger. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Leafs. <laughs> we just assume at this point, yeah. you got your one last year. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. All right. Uh, I'm going to fight the urge to do more Detroit versus everybody talk in the Lions. Let's talk about, I think, an underappreciated story in Detroit. Uh, Mo Sider. And his defensive role this year, he's had a a tough season, not in that he's been playing poorly necessarily. There have been points where I don't think he's been the best, but he has such insanely tough minutes and assignments. If you really watch this team and really break down, okay, what are the long-term things they need to fix is, yeah, you've made a lot of changes on the blue line. Steve Eisenman and the Red Wings need to find a way to get Mo Sider some substantial help in terms of offloading the toughest minutes probably in the NHL or up there off Mo Sider's back because it's it's anything he can do to, you know, try his best against the best player on the planet who's an absolute freak in Connor McDavid all night or, or take the toughest assignments from any team's superstar. It stifles his opportunity to do what you know he can do on the ice and it's like, I don't know, you, you you're not just helping him by like, you know, reducing the load on him, but you're also going to unlock more of his game that we've seen in the past. And all that's tied all of his bandwidth is tied up and just trying to keep the Red Wings defense afloat right now. Yeah. The Wallman cider pairing has faced the toughest quality of competition and minutes in the league by a lot. If you haven't looked up this stat, go find it. It's jarring. And I know we get a lot of flack for how obs- like, obsessively almost critical we are of the rest of the Red Wings D, save for maybe Shane Gostisbehere. You know who agrees with us on that sentiment, though? That it's Cider, Wallman, a little bit Gostisbehere, and then just garbage? The coaching staff? Newsy. Yeah. <laughs> he does not trust any of them. No. In any important matchups. And Mo Cider and Jake Wallman have been eating that almost solely. And they've done an adequate job of it. Again, they have not been perfect this year, but for the minutes they've been playing and the competition they've been playing, they have done an admirable job. And Wallman's out the last two games. Who's went up to play with Sider? You would think a defensive stalwart, right? Because that's what they have uh, a bottom four full of. Nope. Shane Goss spare. Yep. So if you want to know where the coaching staff's thoughts are at, they do not trust any of them either. And you know what? We talk about, okay, the Red Wings don't get blown out as much. This is a big reason why. Ben Sherrod's having a turnaround season because they're deploying him in a way that makes sense for his talent level. The other side of that coin is someone needs to eat those minutes, and it's not Jeff Petrie, and it's not Olimata. It's Mo Sider and his defensive partner, most often Jake Wallman. 
this is it. This isn't sustainable in such a way where you're going to be a good team. It's fine in the interim. It's very hard to add good defensemen. I'd say let's start working on Simon Edmondson at the NHL level so he's ready to be in that top four consistently sooner. This is a recording, et cetera, et cetera. But this is like one of the biggest areas where Steve Eisman has work to do. And that's why there's rumors out there of him calling around on defense. Very obviously, it didn't really work out the way he was thinking with, you know, even though Sherratt's having a better year this year, overall, Ben Sherratt, Jeff Petrie, no. Uh, Ole Mata, I don't think has been as impactful as he was last year when he was playing with Philip Peronik. Justin Hall, not really doing much by the way of positive impact. Like there's just no support there. This has to be a change. It doesn't have to happen this season. I, I'm I'm very against, you know, mortgaging futures or making a massive uh, risky move. But whatever move happens, whether it's now or later, it needs to be sustainable long-term and not just a, a short-term plug. I just wanted to, like, most siders just, he's not at the top of headlines, and that's because he's he's a workhorse right now trying to do what he can. And again, like I mentioned earlier, Jake Wallman's had a rough go with injury and illness so far, and, and he's been part of that too. Okay. Goalies are scarce. It's been, the comparison's been made to quarterbacks. No, goalies are plentiful. Good goalies. Good goalies. Yeah. And the, the comparison has been made by us and many others to quarterbacks in the NFL. Like it's very, very hard to get someone reliable. And Detroit's been on both sides of this spectrum at varying points all year. They started the year with three goaltenders. They got calls for them. They weren't really keen on trading them. Other teams weren't really keen on giving up a lot, but there's not a lot out there. And you're like, well, the market dictates the price and people didn't want to give up prospects. They just want to give up a sixth or whatever. And then Detroit's goalies all got injured and they didn't want to give up anyone and they were trying to find help, blah, blah, blah. Now Alex Lyon is back and Alex Lyon has been playing outstanding hockey. And if you think about what other teams are looking for and what they're willing to pay for, Gibson's going to be expensive. Markstrom, if you're going to try to peel him away from Calgary, if you can get past all of that, that's going to be expensive. Alex Lyon is extremely cheap, cost controlled for this year and next, and is performing as well as anyone else right now. You have to imagine Steve Eisman's phone is ringing off the hook for Alex Lyon. And I would guess that his answer is, you would have to give me something so obscene because this team is trying to make the playoffs, and we can't do that without Alex Lyon right now, right? I don't see how the Red Wings make any sort of trade if they are, in fact, chasing down the playoffs. Because it sends a really bad message to the guys in the locker room if, yeah. hey, I know you guys have been working really hard and really trying to scrape together a playoff-bound <laughs> season. We just traded our starting goalie or... Whoever, let's say we just traded Patrick Kane away after we brought him in to really solidify the lineup. I would think that would send a very bad message. The trade deadline's still a little bit ways away, but and things can change over that time, obviously. But I'd be very sh- unless the unless the offer is just out of this world. I can't see a world where the Red Wings would make a trade right now or to to sell right now. They're not at the point of selling yet, obviously. I think this is, as they are now, the textbook definition of Stan Pat. Yeah. You're not selling. You're not acquiring any position. I don't care. You're not a contender. So there's no sense mortgaging futures. 
for anything. But you're in a playoff race and you don't want to send the message to the locker room by trading anyone who's valuable to the team. And I agree with that. I think it's uh, like it's tough to have something that's so worthwhile for other teams in the league where you can probably squeeze them for a lot. But then again, that's probably holdover thinking from the years where Detroit was absolutely out of the playoff race by now. They're in it. They, they again, they started January the way they needed to. So they're back in that wild card race. So, yeah, I, I can't disagree with what you have both said is probably where Steve Eisman and the Red Wings are at. It also now begs the question of if they can get a little run of games here from Reimer where he looks halfway decent, if Huso comes back and is able to play halfway decent, that's where I think maybe a move could and would come because teams are very, very desperate. All of this is like a spillover from the fact that goaltending is just getting worse across the league on average. Like it, Shooters are doing better. Goaltending save percentage is going down year over year, and teams who are trying to be competitive know how much of a hot a difference a hot goalie can make come playoffs. So I still think Detroit could potentially do something without breaking up like the locker room feel. Well, it all depends on what you define as a valuable player. If they move a goalie and it's not Alex Lyon, okay. That's why you have three of them. You have flexibility. You're fine. Obviously, once all fully healthy, someone wants to offer you a third-round pick for a depth forward. All right. It's not going to happen. Yeah, Everybody knows everybody's value. You know, if someone comes in and knocks your socks off like a first-round pick for something like David Prun, okay, then sometimes you just have to make the smart business decision there. But that's not going to happen. Like you, like the second and third round picks right now aren't worth that much to the Red Wings. Keeping the morale of the team where a good chunk of this team is going to be the core of the future high is important. Second round picks is where you start to get really interesting in my mind. Who's getting you a second round pick off this roster? Well, let's talk about that closer to the trade deadline before we start, you know, labeling Gosses Bear or anyone else as a trade piece. Because if Detroit's where they are now, you're not selling. I don't think you're buyers necessarily. You can do like small pieces where, as you've both have mentioned, like it's not going to shake things up too much, but you're not selling and you're not going to be moving mountains really. The Red Wings are basically TBD until the week of the trade deadline last year. Yeah. And I think the Red Wings as a team are far superior to the team they were last year. All right. Let's jump into uh, news from across the NHL. Uh, speaking of goalies. Elvis Merzlikens has requested a trade out of Columbus. Yep, good luck with that, buddy. It's going to be tough with that contract. Uh, 100%. He's, everybody listening right now, look it up. He's been better this year than you think. He, nobody's <laughs> touching that contract, so they could put him on waivers tomorrow. Nobody's claiming him. No, he has this season and three more left at $5.4 million AAV. Edmonton's already filled that position on their line and their <laughs> roster. <laughs> yeah, they can't do any more of that. There's talk about you know, Markstrom coming out of Calgary. There's just been a lot of smoke there. I wouldn't be surprised if if Calgary's, you know, taking this run of form because he's been way better again than people think this season. A big bounce back. Again, I don't know. Anytime you see a good to elite goalie have a down year and people just write him off as a bust, I'm like, can you please just understand this is what goalies do over their life cycle? But is Calgary going to take advantage of this peak and try to sell high? Maybe. Is this the trade deadline where Gibson moves? Maybe. But goalies are weird, and as they get worse across the league, teams are going to get desperate to try to find and keep a good one. Weird how the non-elite goalies with big contracts uh, are having trouble getting moved. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to say this because, you know, 
sometimes you don't have the choice of getting an elite goalie, but only give the elite ones big contracts and for everyone else, try not to be in that mucky middle. But There's no middle class for the goaltenders. They, some are paid like that, and your choice is a decent goalie and paid a really good chunk of money, even though it's not elite money, or a average goaltender for a lot less. But it's just hard to sell that to your fans, right? It's The goalie market's strange. Anyhow, uh, that I, I do think the Red Wings are going to be a player just in terms of the conversations surrounding that across the league, but they're certainly not the only ones. All right, we are past the halfway point in the NHL. Detroit has played 43 games, so they're past the 50% mark on the season. And I think this would be the first time that we've talked mid-season awards, right? So why don't we get into that and talk about what we're seeing across the league for uh, awards, where we're projecting it to go. I want to start with an interesting one, which is the Calder Trophy. I think there's two players who have really stood out. One is Connor Bedard, very obviously. Fractured his jaw out six to eight weeks. And that's going to put a little bit of a damper on things. But all in all has been a phenom this season. You see why he's the future of the NHL. And then behind him is Brock Faber with the Minnesota Wild. A player who recently, I, I think, has just broken through what people saw as a ceiling for him and taken another step in his development that trade from LA that sent him there originally he has just been absolutely lights out for Minnesota often playing like yeah I saw north of 30 minutes a couple times there is he going to pass Connor Bedard or do you have any other thoughts Luke Hughes or anyone else I'm not big on the games played thing for an award like this I still think McDavid should have got it over Panarin years ago if McDavid doesn't miss those two months. He was winning the race comfortably. Faber's been a great story, but Bedard is on an island in Chicago and was still putting up insane numbers. If he misses the rest of the season, sure. But if he only finishes the season with, let's say, 60 games played to Faber's 80, and they continue to play the way they are, I'm still giving it to Bedard. I feel the same way. Like That's a really good chunk of games to play. It's not like the NBA where they're like resting him some nights or anything like that, load management. And what he's done has just been astounding. No discredit to, to Brock Faber, but to me, this seems like a, unless he's out for way longer, is trash when he comes back. Like it's started, Apparently he's already bought, like in a non-contact jersey. Yeah, because he fractured his jaw, right? Yeah. So get the He the said no time out. to talk, got to go practice. He loves that. <laughs> well, way less media time. Yeah, no kidding. Any other thoughts, Luke Hughes, or anything like that? Luke Hughes is going to be my honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah, but he's not a serious contender at this point. You know who deserves, not to win the trophy, but deserves recognition? Marco Rossi. Yeah, especially after everything he's been through. Yeah, what a ride. And for that guy to come in and just be really, really good, that is a great story. Because a lot of people coming into the season would have written him off as a like a player who didn't pan out for different reasons. And you almost couldn't blame him. And he's come and proven a lot of people wrong. The Norris. Quinn Hughes next. It's Yeah, basically, yeah. It's so tough, Quinn Hughes. Because just people can't. It's just the Philip Zadina thing. <laughs> That's all it is from a Red Wings perspective. Uh-huh. And we're a Red Wings podcast. So Quinn Hughes next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Kale McCarr will be in the conversation. He's the only one giving it a run. Speaking of the Philip Zadina thing, you know two other names who I think are very much in that mix? Shut up. Evan Bouchard? Shut up. Noah Dobson? Shut up. The only thing missing here is Adam Boakvist, honestly. 
if you want to go back to that draft. You could pick him up right now pretty cheap if you wanted. Yeah. You shouldn't, but you could. But that is Quinn Hughes' trophy to lose. The Vesna. Next. Oh, yeah. Connor, Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck. What the Winnipeg Jets are doing, the fact that they are among, if not the best team in the NHL, Connor Hellebuck. I hope no one thought that he wasn't one of the best goalies on the planet. That's what he's doing. Any top team, any any coach that's going to be among the uh, candidates for the Jack Adams, look at who's in net. It's someone like Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Thatcher Demko has played really well. Jeremy Swayman, I think, has played really well. Cam Talbot, of course, for the Kings is going to be in that mix. But yeah, that's Connor Hellebuck's trophy. The Hart Trophy. This one's an interesting one. I want to see what you guys think. Are we basing it on what's happened to this point or are we including what we're projecting to happen the rest of the season? I think it's up until this point. The midway award. Yeah. If you had to do it right now. Yeah. Oh man, there are so many candidates then if you open it up to that cuz I'm I'm still betting on McDavid when it comes to the end of the season, but obviously to this point that first month really hurt him. At this point I'm saying Nathan McKinnon. He he's a force of nature this season. He is. He really is. I think the NHL has a LeBron James problem. It's not a problem, but it's it's the LeBron James situation. I think if you look at this trophy as in who is the best player in the league right now, to me it's Connor McDavid. And if you look at this trophy as in who is the most valuable to their team and the results of the team when he's in the lineup versus out, it's also Connor McDavid. Yeah, McKinnon has done more because McDavid was hurt and played through that injury and was off at the start of the year. I still think he's the best player on the planet. I still think he's the league's MVP. And it sucks because you're right. McKinnon is an absolute monster this season. I'm still mad for McKinnon that Taylor Hall won it when he did because it was McKinnon's that year. And I hated that storyline of, oh, the Devils are bad. Taylor Hall's good. Taylor Hall absolutely had a great season, but that was, I'm still mad about it. Because McKinnon for most of his career is going to have to go up against McDavid. Yep. And I, I honestly believe unless McDavid misses half of a season or more, it's his every year, and I don't think this year's any different. McKinnon is going to get a, a heart win because people want him to win it so badly and all the intangibles he also brings outside of the counting stats. I would be absolutely shocked if Nathan McKinnon doesn't win a heart by the end of his career. Voter fatigue is very real. Yeah. Every year... Wayne Gretzky was in the league and didn't win the MVP. It was because they wanted to give it to someone else. And the same thing is going to happen with Connor McDavid. Short of missing damn near the whole season due to an injury, Connor McDavid's the best player in the league. Connor McDavid's the most viable player in the league. Full stop, end of statement. Guys are going to get up there and get close, but it is what it is. And yeah, I, they're going to, this is probably a good quote unquote excuse season to not give it to McDavid because of the slow start. So a couple guys might have, you know, the puncher's chance unless McDavid goes nuclear to finish the season, which is very much in the cards. But He's catching up. Yeah. Credit also to Nikita Kucherov, who leads the league in, in points right now, 72 points in 43 games. I don't think he gets enough credit in these conversations. Pasternak's up there. Elias Pettersson. Elias Pettersson, Artemi Panarin. Like, there are a lot of names in you the could, mix. You could even throw Quinn Hughes in there. Yeah, absolutely. You he, can throw Connor Hellebuck in there. And I know everyone's always says, oh, he's just getting all these points. Like, that's not 
that doesn't warrant you as the best defenseman or the best player in the league. But he's actually playing extremely good two-way hockey, so I could I'm I'll give honorable mention to Quinn Hughes. I'm still like I don't know, the way I feel about the, the Norris trophies, I do wish it wasn't just a default to the best point-getting defenseman, but I'm not willing to have another argument about Eric Carlson with Brad today. Jack Adams Award. Who has the best goalie? Well, you, which team is doing better than you thought they would is what this actual Rick award. Tuckett. Rick Tuckett. Rick Tuckett is the betting favorite. Why? Because Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes went full Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, and Demko remembered that he's one of the best goalies on the planet. Rick Bonus with the Jets. That's the winner, right? That should be the winner. I agree. I, I do like Rick Bonus' season the best because I think this is a team he already had. It's not like he came into a new team. They had incredible amount of problems in not just the dressing room, but a shakeup in the team's core. No one expected them to do well, and it's not like he got a massive... He did get an injection of talent in that trade with LA, of course, but... But he lost the massively overrated Pierre-Luc Dubois. But I, I still think Winnipeg came way ahead on that trade. But the thing is, too, you look at the underlying numbers for Winnipeg, they're top 10 in almost everything. This Mor- isn't this isn't just them riding Hellebuck. They're genuinely good. Morrissey should be a, a dark horse candidate for Norris votes, and that's, you know... I think we read a stat off one of the podcasts, and we said it was in 21 games, uh, Winnipeg had only had given up three goal, more than three goals, like, once. It was zero. Zero? <laughs> zero. They had not given up more than three goals in a game for an absurdly long time. I don't even... That streak might still be going, but... It's to in my mind, it's Rick Bonus. I one guy that doesn't get talked about it enough. If you want to talk about a team overachieving relative to the talent on their roster, is I really think Andre Tournier needs to be in this conversation. Yes, no, yes. Nobody thought the Coyotes were going to be any good this year, and they've held a playoff spot for a good chunk of the season. So if if Tournier doesn't get some recognition on this, I don't even know what this award is for. John Tortorella is obviously going to be in the mix too. Oh, 100%. And he deserves that. I, I I still think John Tortorella may have the three-year shelf life where he's had most of his career, but I think you've also seen growth in him as a coach in this league. Players love John Tortorella. And you could, oh, based on all the stuff that went on with Cutter Goche and Kevin Hayes the other day, and he walks right up to the podium and he starts it all off by just tearing into media protecting his guys that's why the players will run through a wall for John Tortorella because he may be a hard ass in practice but he's going to defend his guys yeah except when he's flaming them publicly in the media well that's what you you, the wick burns at both ends with John Tortorella John Tortorella I can't make up my mind on because from everything every story article whatever that they've written about John Tortorella the person he seems like such a genuinely good dude. Yes. But then you see the, like, he can't even put up with five minutes of talking to the media and, you know, you see his piss baby bullshit and you're like, who are you, dude? Like, what are he's... you? And then he runs and joins the media when he's in between jobs. I don't get it. The dude's raw. Like, he is just who he is unapologetically. You like him for it. You understand why it burns a little too hot where he's been and, and you can, I like where he's adjusted himself as a person. I think he's funny as hell, too. I absolutely love it. But, hey, Rasmus Ristolainen, he has changed that guy's career from someone who is 
for one reason or another, way, way overpaid in terms of contract and assets. And he's made him into a completely different player, a completely different player. Philadelphia is also exceptionally better this year because they have Sean Couturier back, who I really think he is the straw that stirs the drink in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. They actually, when the Red Wings played them, I was very, very impressed with the team defense that Philadelphia was able to play, given the talent or lack thereof on their in their lineup. And a lot of that credit's got to go to John Tortorella. He's got that team, you know, feeling like underdogs, feeling like it's them against the world. Good for him. Not that you're sitting here thinking that the Flyers are going to be world beaters, but they're making noise. And like in a Eastern Conference where it's not exactly decided how things are going to shake out, they hold a divisional playoff spot in the Metropolitan. Which I don't think anybody would have thought at the start of the season. No. And Pittsburgh's four points behind them. They have a game in hand, but Philly's holding their own in there. I would have imagined they'd be one of the worst teams in the league. Agreed. So good for them. Okay. Why don't we jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to support us and allow us to do things like continue to uh, produce, uh, grow, and make the show better. Uh, Host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, Host other shows and produce other shows like Expected by Whom, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and lots, lots more. You get access to great benefits like our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You're automatically entered into all of our giveaways, including uh, the fact that we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. Uh, Additionally, you get access to our bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones. We let loose, have fun, answer any questions that we didn't answer on the main show. It's a good time. So again, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. All right, Samuel Soderholm says, to your mind, what, except for goaltending, is the biggest reason for this string of wins. Andrew Kopp. Well, to a degree, Andrew Kopp putting uh, goals on the board will absolutely help. Do, do we want the real answer? Yeah, give us the real answer. Luck? Other team, I won't say luck, I'll say... other. Yeah, it's luck that they're running into teams on like losing streaks and the garbage Toronto pulled last night and some really shitty goaltending. The, the circumstance... The stars have aligned for the Red Wings on this six-game streak. To put the ball in their court a little bit more, I'll say every team will always face different versions of their opponents, not always the best ones. And you just have to be a little bit better and a little bit luckier and just get one more save, and that's what they've done. Just win, baby. That's that's the biggest reason is the just win. Yeah, they, Mentally, they have been stronger than their opponents. Talent-wise, they have not been. No. Five zero one one. Eric Asmus says uh, something that I keep forgetting to ask. If offering Kane an extension, how much term are you willing to offer? Three years to match to Brinkett, five million, six million. I realize the thirty-five plus year old contract is an issue here too. It depends what the AAV is. If if he wants a bigger AAV, but he's willing to go short term, that's probably the more ideal situation. If he's like, I want to play for four more years, but I'll take two mil a year. Okay. He's, that's not going to happen, but I, I two years is where I would be comfortable. If the dollar figure is right, I could be talked into three years. I, yeah, I don't think you're going beyond three years on this. Obviously, how he's going to 
eventually retire? Is it going to be on LTIR? Are you going to trade him away to a contender? That all begs a lot of questions. Seeing what we've seen from Kane, as long as this recent injury isn't like a, a chain of a recurring injury problem, he's been one of Detroit's better, if not best players on the ice, not named Alex Lyons since he joined the team. So up to three years, sure. And whatever dollar value, you know, with the new cap limits that equates to, I can't imagine it's more than five to six million. Uh, there's a lot of different directions they can go. Uh, Les Grossman's ungodly firestorm says, hey, gents, if the Ottawa games last year were assigned for Eisman to sell, should this last stretch of games be assigned for him to consider buying? Considering our roster, would pursuing a guy like Noah Hannafin be the right move? And if so, what would we have to give? I feel like Cider, Wallman, Ghost, Hannafin, and Sherratt would be a solid defense group. Thanks. You're right. That would be a substantial upgrade. No, the Red Wings should absolutely not do that. The cost for what he would, like you're giving up a first round pick to get probably swept in the first round of the playoffs? Absolutely not. Noah Hannafin has, this is the last year of his contract. So, I mean, if you're getting Noah Hannafin for an extended period of time, because he's he's 27 at the end of the month. And so, you know, you're not getting him in all of his best years, but that's a lot of really good years. So if you're getting Noah Hannafin and he's staying long-term, then I like the idea of Noah Hannafin on Detroit. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of Noah Hannafin on there, but how often do we see in-season... Uh, sign and trades. I can think of two in recent memory. Yeah, it would have to be a trade then sign. So it'd be a lot of risk. Exactly. So that, I mean, if you're talking long-term, then yeah. But if you're talking like a short-term just as a rental, then I agree with Brad. I'm not buying if I'm the Red Wings. Dylan Larkin's Nana says, what's the superior Gatorade flavor? Purple. Blue. Like of the original flavors, like what you can get from the vending machine. After so what is that? Orange, red, yellow, blue? I think those are the original ones, right? Purple's not? Purple's been around a long time, but I think it. I think Ryan's right. I don't think it was one of the OGs. Orange, yellow, red, blue. I think were the, if, if. Yeah, that's I what. I think those would be the originals. I see a, is that a green? Yeah, it's a later generation. That's it's, the watermelon. I've had it. It's okay. Yeah. So of the orange, red, blue, and yellow. Here's um, my hot take. All of them, cold out of the vending machine, fantastic. Oh, yeah. There's no bad options here. No. The best option, though, uh, for sure is lemon lime. That's the yellow one? Yeah. I'm not a yellow guy. Oh, I'm yeah. a, I like blue. Blue's like no one's ever, it's like yeah. pink Starburst. No one hates it. Nobody's upset with blue, even though it is last on my list. It's la- okay. Yeah. Well. I'm, I go yellow, red, orange, blue. And I, I again, I'm not. Shitting on blue. It is good. If you hand me a blue right now, I'm going to say thank you with a smile on my face. But it is not my favorite of those. Ice cold. You just finished a game. You scored a goal. Your dad's proud of you. Give me a yellow. Blue is a 1B situation. Orange, then red for me. Blue, orange, red, yellow. Wow. It's amazing how we were all so like lukewarm on orange and red. Yeah, they're just... They're just kind of well. I don't want to say they're they're just kind of there. They're the Detroit Red Wings <laughs> of flavors. They're firmly in the middle, and everybody agrees. You checked, and you're like, "Oh, they're in a, a playoff spot." <laughs> All right, uh, moving on here. The gym says, "Hey boys, it's officially ODR season. What's your opinion on why this season has uh, this Red Wing season has higher highs and lower lows than all the other years? Of the rebuild. Stay warm. Let's go, Red Wings. For one simple reason." Because there's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's why you see the Red Wings. You see less of the dejected 
looks on the bench. You see less apathy. You see more anger. You see more excitement. That celebration against Toronto, like the slamming of the sticks of the board against the boards when things go wrong, like the stakes are not just higher, they're present for the first time in a while. December has went like this almost every year for the last seven years for the Red Wings. This is the only year it mattered. Yeah. Okay. Michael Barry says, since the Wings have Debrinket, Kane, and Sprong, should the Red Wings play less aggressive in the overtime and play for the shootout? No. No, absolutely not. You try to get the the OT win if you can for tiebreak. I don't know that playing for the shootouts. No team's ever going to do it. Three on three, the, if you play less aggressive in three on three, you're essentially just caving, in my mind. Unless you just hang onto the puck and kill time, at which point you might get booed to death. The Mexican says, who do you pair Edvinson with next season? Do you attempt Sherratt? Do you put him with a guy like Mata? Do you say screw it and throw him with Hall or Petrie? I would say maybe early on, Mata might be a candidate. You might want to look to shuffle your whole defensive core in general. I mean, all goes well, you know, Edvinson Sider. But no, in all seriousness, Mata as it stands right now might be the move in like a safe way. Be nice to bolster the second pairing to then, you know, have them eat some of the tough matchups sometimes to allow Wallman Insider to have a lesser matchup and drive some offense for once. Yeah. The Jack Scientist says, hey guys, what a freaking week for Detroit sports. Sacrificing the Pistons was the best idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about coaching dynamics in hockey with respect to Edmonton. Are Eisman and Newsy in contact with him? Are they just letting him suffer down there? Is Eisman telling Newsy he isn't ready? Obviously, you won't know specifics, but I don't know how the hockey world works in this regard. Any insight appreciated? In this specific situation, we can't say for sure what's going on, but traditionally speaking, there would be a lot of communication here. There's also like oftentimes it's like communication with the Red Wings level with the Griffins level, especially for an organizations that are so tightly intertwined. Of course, it's all one vertical, Uh, but they'll be talking to their coaching staff on what they want from Edvinson, what they want to see him do on and off the ice, what to communicate to him, et cetera. And there probably is communication with his agent Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, this is why he's down here. It could be they might just be straight up with him. We don't have a spot. There's cap implications, yada, yada, yada. We just want him to continue to develop while we figure out the roster, whatever that might be. So everybody's in the loop here. And if they're not, that would be pretty damning towards Red Wings management. But historically, this is how they've done it. So I have no reason to think that. All right. Last one here from Not That Kind of Hockey says, I'm so happy for Alex Lyon at the moment. I was genuinely excited when Detroit signed him and he's playing his heart out. Larkin even called him Kinger in a post-game interview alluding to uh, Lion King. Uh, to what extent do you think that his play is sustainable? I'm disappointed it wasn't Simba. Yeah, it's asking too much of of NHL players. That's very Honestly, fair. Kinger is a is a big leap. Like that's that's a couple layers of thinking. They didn't just go like, I don't know. Yeah, Lion doesn't work no. well for traditional. That's the only reason they went yeah. to Kinger because they couldn't call him Lion-y. Lion-Z. Yeah. Lion-Z. That's actually, honestly, it was probably a toss-up between Kinger and Linesy. <laughs> yeah, they would have called him Liney, but then the rest would have thought they were just yelling at him all yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. How sustainable is his play? Indefinite. That's right. More, I trust his sustainability more than the other two goalies on the roster right now, for yeah. whatever that's worth. I don't know. Like, he's put up a 922. Connor Ingram's put up a 919. I don't see why Lion can't be in that conversation. I think constantly stealing games for Detroit, I, I think... 
the results might not be sustainable. Detroit's going to have to up their their game a bit more. You can't ask him to make 44 saves every night. But in terms of like the proportion of Poxy stops, I see that as being sustainable over the course of the rest of the season. Now, is that going to be him the rest of his career? I don't know. We've we've gotten fooled by good goalies with small sample sizes multiple times in the recent past with the Red Wings. So I hesitate to extrapolate too much, but he looks solid, man. He doesn't look like a wild goalie out there. Agreed. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Like I mentioned to you, we're going to be back with you on Thursday. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, Labatt Blue Light for their sponsorship, as well as all of our listeners. Uh, please, 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 if you want to come to Winged Wheel Podcast and at the LC on March 2nd, go to the link in the description and get your tickets soon. They go fast. We have no control over getting extra hats or anything like that. That's all licensed and stuff by the Red Wings. And so we have what we have. First 400 ticket buyers get those, and we're already more than halfway done that, I believe. So uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA, Saturday, March 2nd. Get your tickets today. We'd like to thank all of you for listening, all of our listeners, new and old. Thank you. And to all our patrons, especially our name-level supporters. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Icon, Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Shin Extensions Baggins, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Curtis Snyder, new name level supporter, welcome to the Dub Dub Club, Curtis, Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Eric Shun, G.O.D. Creatives, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Screen Lube, Sprong 88, the best. That's what I appreciate about you. The Department of Player Safety Delusion. Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, AB, Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buff Chest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D Boss Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCraggan, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Nate Danielson is a Portland Winterhawk, Mother Furkers, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, These Lions Are Unreal. <laughs> It's meant to be <laughs> meant to be a Shorzy reference. Winging it in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, your second favorite patron. And that is all. Thank you so very much. We'll talk to you Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.